Now our study tonight at this hour is how a couple who had been alienated were able to become sweethearts again. You have before you the page that tells very briefly their story. <clears throat> you'll notice as you look at this story, you'll notice that the man in the case, the husband, bless his heart, was a habitual backslider. Habitually, he was unfaithful to his wife. And evidently, she was forgiving him again and again. And by the way, this couple we knew, we met, and every experience that we relate during this seminar is an experience of individuals whom we personally know. One little girl came to me after one of the meetings and she said, was that a true story? I said, oh yes, we don't tell lies. <laughs> These are true stories. This actually happened. And after this dear man had, had carried on this program in a habitual, repeated way for a period of years, his wife became so discouraged that even though he found the Lord and had a rich experience in the Lord, she was so discouraged that she actually despised his experience in the Lord. She was angry that he'd found happiness in the Lord and forgiveness in the Lord. And she found in her heart a lack of forgiveness. And about this time, bless her heart, she went to visit her sister. And as she was visiting her sister, <clears throat> They were talking, of course, about her trials and her tribulations. And you know, isn't it too bad that we Christians just have to kind of mull over all the problems of our lives? And she and her sister were discussing some of these problems and, and, and her sister's husband came in unexpectedly. And she said, uh, did you see my husband? Oh, he said, yes, I, I, I've been seeing him. We've been chatting together. We've been visiting together. And he said, uh, he has a wonderful experience in Jesus. And then he added a negative, which he should never have added. He said, but he's finding it very difficult to forget that other woman. With that, his precious wife just burst into tears, rushed in the other room, sobbing. Her sister came after her, and her sister said, listen, Maybe you ought to go for a little ride out in the open air and, and maybe it'll help you to feel better. My husband will take you for a, a little trip. So she said, I went for the little trip with her husband. She said, I never should have taken that trip. I didn't stop to realize it. She said, we went out, parked the car by the beach and we walked along by the beach and, and her husband began to tell me that he never had loved his wife that he'd loved me for years. And she said, it broke down all of my reserve. And before I realized scarcely what was happening, I had fallen into sin. She said, then I hated myself. Such guilt, she said, has covered my soul, I cannot even describe. She said, I came back, I hoped that, I hoped that he would never tell his wife, and I planned never to tell my husband. And she said, with that, I." As soon as I could, I took off for camp meeting. And Pastor Coon, you were holding a series of meetings there at camp meeting. And she said, it was just the message that God had for my soul. 
She said, one of the messages that you gave was, was how to help an infatuated mate. And she said, I found that I had been using the wrong methods entirely. And she said, and so I, I cried out to the Lord, dear Lord, forgive me. I haven't been using the right method on my husband. I haven't been forgiving. And because I wasn't forgiving, you let me fall into the same trap. And she said, just about this time, a husband called me by long distance. And she said he was sobbing. And friends, amazing, this is amazing. This man that had been habitually unfaithful to his wife, now that he learns what has happened to her, for he was told, his heart was breaking, and he said, do you know, I've loved you all these years. I never realized till now how much I loved you. Oh, she, he said, my heart is just breaking. He said, why don't you come home right away? She said, well, I've just come to a series of meetings, and the Lord is feeding my soul. I'm learning just what I need to learn. And she said, you know, uh, couldn't you come? He said, well, all right, I'll come. She said, as he came in on the campground that morning, at first, she said, we're almost like strangers. And then little by little, by the power of the Lord, we warmed up and she said, we became friends, we became lovers. She said, we apologized to each other. We asked God to forgive us. And we sensed his complete forgiveness, his complete cleansing. And she said, I rested in my bed and I felt so happy. Oh my, we finally are sweethearts again. We fall in love all over again. Oh, thank you, Lord, for being, bringing peace after all of these years of trouble and sorrow and alienation and quibbling and murmuring and disputing. Why, now we're sweethearts again. And she said, as I, as I lay there on my bed, something happened. The devil took over. She said, my heart began to pound. My breath became short. And I said to myself, well, this, this won't last very long. Surely, I, I don't know what this is all about, but it can't last very long. But she said, it continued. And I thought, well, maybe if I get up and go to the meeting. And she said, and it continued all night. I said, well, to my husband, I don't believe I can go to the meeting in the morning. I, I, I feel terrible. My heart is pounding. It seems I can scarcely breathe. And he said, you know what I think it is? I think it's a devil trying to keep you from God's special message. Let's go anyway. So she said, with his help, I made it over, almost staggering in the meeting place, sat down, and she said, as, as you began to speak, it seemed I could not stand it. My heart was pounding, and my breath was so short. I said to my husband, I've just got to get up and leave. I'll have to go back to my room. And he put his hand on mine. He said, honey, the devil is trying to deprive us of God's special message for us. Let's stick it out. She said, I stayed there. I sat there. Oh, she said, but it seemed like I never could stand it. She said, and, but I listened the best I could, crying out to God to help me. She said, when the meeting was over, I went back in my room and I, I took the bed and she said, and I said to my husband, maybe if you leave, and I'll just kind of be all alone. 
maybe, I, maybe I'll just find a relief. I don't know what it is. So she said he got up and, and he walked out of the place, walked down the aisle, uh, the, the hallway, and he was gone. And she said as he left, it seemed that all the demons of hell took over. She said, it seemed that I was going to die. I said, I must call somebody. But she said, there's nobody to call. My husband had left. Oh, she said, Lord, I, I don't know whether I need to see Pastor Kuhn or whether I need to see a doctor or what, but Lord, I'm here all alone. And she said, as I was praying, the devil took over so completely. She said that I was losing my strength. I was losing consciousness, it seemed. And then she said, I, I, I just looked up by faith into the Lord's face, and I said, Oh, God, if there's anything between you and me, point it out, because I don't want to die without knowing that everything is all right. I believe it is. Every sin is, is confessed so far as I know, Lord. And dear Lord, if I should die, I want to be sure that everything's all right. And she said, I got worse and worse. And I finally said, oh Lord, I, I will not let you go except you bless me. And she said, then I heard the voice of the Lord. My grace is sufficient for thee. And she said, as his voice, the thought voice spoke to my heart, Immediately, my breath returned. She said, and I was so, so satisfied that I thought I was dying peacefully. And she said, and I lay there quietly, and I said to myself, what, my, what will my husband think when he comes in and finds me dead? <laughs> and she said, I lay there a minute or two, another couple minutes. I'm not dead. I'm alive. My heart is not storming anymore. My breath is all right. And she said, and then my husband came down the hallway and he came in the room and he, and he said, how is everything? She said, honey, I'm well. <clears throat> the Lord's healed me. I reached up to him and I said, oh Lord, I will not let you go except you bless me. And she said, he thrust into my heart the promise. My grace is sufficient for you. And when that promise found its way in my heart, I was healed instantly. Oh, she said, I want to tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know the love of the Lord. And we're sweethearts again. And she said, I'm writing this letter to you. For she wrote a beautiful letter. She said, I'm writing this letter to you so that others can share the experience that though your sins be as scarlet, the idea, I don't know whether she quoted that text, they shall be as white as snow. To think of what God can do after such bitterness and alienation is taken over in two lives, to think we're really, truly lovers in Jesus. Now, I'd like to share with you, friends, some of the lessons, and you'll be free to take notes now as I share some lessons regarding this couple. And uh, if some lesson that I share impresses you in a special way, you can just jot down two or three words, you see, that, uh, by which you can recall it. 
If some promise from God's Word that I share with you impresses you, you might just want to write that promise. If as you look at uh, the notes here and this, uh, and this experience, you'll notice we've placed text of Scripture after each of the items. If any of those in a special way impress you, be free to take notes because the more you participate, the more you learn, and the more you can carry away with you. First of all, I want to share with you one of the lessons that I get from this experience. It is this. This Christian man, why did he become uh, an addict of sex infatuation? He never would have been an addict had he not taken the first step. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 it says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And friends, I would like to emphasize very strongly right now, and I'm praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit as we visit together. I want to very strongly emphasize, my friends, that you and I should ask God to keep us from the first step downward. If we don't take the first step downward, we won't take the rest of the steps downward, right? Amen? Now, it is true that sin does yield sensuous pleasure. No question about it. But when the harvest time comes, then what? When the harvest time comes, whatsoever man soweth, what? That shall he also reap. You see, if we could only realize that sensuousness does not pay off, God has given a special thrill to the marriage union. That, that thrill is not to be shared with another living soul in all the world. Amen? Can you say amen? Amen. amen. But when we start that path, we're starting a path that has a harvest. The Bible says there's a pleasure of sin for what? For a season. Now, after the season, then comes the harvest. Now, this dear man, just think of him a moment. Little did he realize when he started this downward path what sorrow would be his. He could look back over his experience after years in this, and he could say, I'm a fool. If he thought it was, a, was worth the whole experience, he would keep repeating it. No. He said, oh, Lord, why in the world did I ever take that step downward? So the lesson, the first lesson I'd like to share with you is ask the Lord to keep us from taking the first step downward. The next lesson is extremely important. Though this man did take the first step downward, and it was followed by step after step and experience after experience with first one woman and then another, God is merciful. And let us never forget it. Though your sins, let's quote it together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Not they may be, they shall be. And then 1 John 1, 9, would you quote it with me? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't you thank God for that? You look in the life of Jesus Christ and you find that Christ 
gave some of the most precious messages of love to those who had sunk the deepest in sex sins. You take Mary Magdalene, who later was the first at the sepulcher of the risen Lord. You, you think of the woman of Samaria. She'd had how many husbands? Five husbands. She was now living with a man out of wedlock. Jesus knew all about it. Did you know, friends, that Jesus presented to that woman a truth that he never presented to the self-righteous Pharisees? As they were visiting together, he offered her the water of life. And she began to argue a little bit with him, you know, and he wouldn't let her argue. He said, the water that I'll give you will be a well, a spring of water, springing up, bubbling up. And you'll never be empty again. You'll never be thirsty again. You'll never again crave for the things of the world. He said, call your husband. She said, uh, sir, I don't have a husband. And very kindly, Jesus said, that's right, you don't. You've had five. And how he must have said it, with that smile of pity and love, and the man that you're now living with is not your husband. She said, I believe you're a prophet. But my friends, he was more than a prophet. She, when she realized the love that Jesus had for her, the forgiveness, the mercy, she said, we've heard that Christ is coming. And she said, you know, uh, the Jews, they tell us that you should worship in Jerusalem, and, and we say that you can worship here. And Jesus said, look, you don't have to worry about where you worship. You can worship God in spirit and in truth. And he said, I can tell you, I'll offer you a water and you'll never thirst. She said, will you give me this water? Friends, this is the love, this is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's lesson number two. Lesson number three, and I think this is very important. This fine lady, I don't know all the details, but you know what might have happened by which he wouldn't have had to have been in this habitual addiction? Had this fine lady, instead of being permissive all these years, and knowing what was taking place, hoping that if she would just be sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, he would come back. That part is good, but that's only the first part. Love not merely is permissive, love disciplines. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, that unless iniquity is speedily punished, it is fully set in men's hearts to do evil. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says the person whom God loves, he chastises. Many years ago, we were holding a series of meetings in a church. I'll never forget. It was the only church I ever held a series of meetings in where almost every office of the church turned against me. <laughs> every place we've ever been, we've had a wonderful fellowship except that one little church. And as I would be speaking, I would notice the leading officers of this church shaking their head all over the place. Never had an experience like it. One night, I said, Lord, give me wisdom. What's happened? I said, Lord, I... Something's got to happen. I'd like to 
I'd like to see what's wrong here. The next morning, one of the men came and he said, would you be willing to take lunch with us? I said, yes. And I was praying for the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And on the way to lunch, he said, Pastor, we haven't gone out too much for this lovey-dovey business that you're preaching. I said, well, is that right? He said, a group of us have decided to meet at my home. Do you mind? And we'll ask you some questions. I said, I would be delighted. When we sat down, they said, you know, we don't go along with this love. They said, isn't there such a thing as discipline? I said, yes, but love disciplines. They said, oh. They never once dreamed that love disciplines. Had this fine lady disciplined her husband, had she met this problem head on, being sweet, being winsome, being delightful, but just saying, look, my darling, you can't have two women. She could have salvaged him probably many years before. So whom God loves, he chastises. When a man plants, <clears throat> when a man plants thorns, the Lord lets him reap what? Thorns. God doesn't go around pulling up all the thorn bushes. When a man or a woman realizes that he can't have his, as we say, can't have his cake and eat it too, he begins to realize then that the pleasure of sin is only for a season. Then the harvest day comes. And my friends, any person who has a mate that is habitually acting up like this, that individual is doing no service to that mate to let it continue. That faithful spouse, very kindly, very sweetly, very winsomely, very prayerfully, should say, look, this cannot be. It's one of the greatest services that a person, that a mate can possibly render to a mate that's running around or carrying on. Then they realize that they can't have their sensuousness and also their home. I'm thinking of a man who was carrying on and his wife was doing everything in the world to keep his love and it didn't mean a thing to him until finally he saw the papers, the divorce papers. The man hopped a plane, commercial plane, came hundreds of miles to see me, actually sobbing. I do love my wife. I do love my home. Whom God loves, he chastises. And now, we're going to let you ask questions regarding uh, this experience so we can further develop the lessons that we need to learn. And... Uh, uh, we are going to have someone uh, pass out slips of paper. Just raise your hand wherever you are if you'd like to write a question. Don't have to sign your name. And they'll hand you a slip of paper. You can write your question, and it'll be handed to one of our good partners here. And that partner will hand it to uh, my partner, and he will read them, the questions, and then I will do my best to answer them. So we'd like to have you participate he already has a few that have been handed to him already. Okay, Brother Steve, the first. And I believe that timer, Brother Steve, you may want to change a little bit. Thank you. Pastor Kuhn, uh, can we blame the woman in the study you just gave for finding it hard to forgive a man who had committed the same sin over and over? I mean, how could she even be sure she could trust him again? 
How many agree that that's a good question? <laughs> Isn't that a good question? Here he was an addict. Probably she had forgiven him again and again. How could she be sure that he'd really repented? Uh, does anyone want to share that answer with us? And then I'll repeat it so all the rest can hear. How in the world would you say that she would dare uh, to uh, say, I forgive you? Does one have a thought on that? All right, a lady right here. She has a thought, and I'm coming right down to where you are. If she's accepted Christ and knows that he has forgiven her... If she has accepted Christ and knows that Christ has forgiven her... Then who are we not to forgive? How many can say amen to that? I don't believe you could have gotten a better answer anywhere. In fact, my favorite author says that whenever, and I think it's the only time, whenever we find it hard to forgive someone, at that time, we should realize how much God has forgiven us, right? And you know, that shows how important it is for us to look to Calvary, right? Think of what Jesus passed through. Look at the suffering through which he passed to accomplish our redemption. We have never begun to suffer like that over somebody's ingratitude and unfaithfulness to us. Thank you. Uh, next one. But dear uh, Mr. Kuhn, uh, this woman could not have been too good a Christian herself to be taken in so quickly. What do you think about that? That's a thought too, isn't it? Uh, maybe she... Uh, Maybe that means maybe she uh, contributed a little bit to this man's uh, infidelity. Maybe it could be that. Uh, did you ever hear, did any of you people ever hear of, uh, of the faithful mate being the saint and the unfaithful one being the deep sinner? And yet maybe the faithful mate, quote unquote, Maybe he was not a sex fiend, but maybe he was a nagger. And nagged the daylights out of the mate, you know. Did you ever hear of people nagging, beautifully nagging? You know, there are different ways to nag. Did you ever hear of a beautiful way like this? You know, very sweetly. You know what kind of a person you are. <laughs> you know, so sweetly. And the smile is so syrupy sweet that we think we've been a saint when we were a syrupy demon. Uh, so she could have contributed toward his downfall, right? How many agree? She could have really contributed toward it. Does that still justify him, though, in living the life he lived? Couldn't the same God that took care of Joseph in Egypt have taken care of him if he'd set his gaze on Jesus Christ? All right, next question. There's a question. Um, in what way should the loving person chastise their mate physically or mentally? Or um, do you think the chastisement should be from God? The chastisement uh, isn't even from God. In a sense, now let me explain. It's not our chastisement. It's not even God's chastisement in one sense. You see, God lets a man reap the thorns that he's sown. God didn't bring a thorn along and say, I'm going to grow it and then pierce you with it, did he? In other words, God lets a sinner sow thorns and reap the thorns. 
it's a perfectly good law of nature. But the man sowed weeds, he sowed thorns, he sowed thistles, and he must reap thistles. God didn't create the thistles for him. The man planted them himself. So the wife doesn't whip him. She doesn't whip him with her tongue. What does she do? She said, well, if you choose this life, you see, if you choose this life, it's your choice. She lets him understand that she's not trying to be mean, but she gives him the same choice that God gives a sinner when the Lord says you can plant a thistle, but you'll have to reap what? You'll have to reap a thistle, see? So God doesn't dogmatically whip people. No, no. God rather permits people through the, their own doing to sow thorns and sow thistles and reap them. So the wife could say to her husband, it's your choice. I'm not choosing for you, but you can't have two wives. Is there another question? Yes. Uh, if you are divorced and your mate is not a member of the Christian church, he's not a Christian, and he wants to come back, should you take him back? That is a very good question, isn't it? Uh, what is he? He's your mate. <laughs> he's your mate. Now, many people have come to us and they've said this, I'm not going to take him back unless he's converted. Remember, he's still your mate. And remember 1 Corinthians 7.10. It says, let not the wife depart from her husband. That's an unchristian mate. If she isn't to depart from an unchristian mate, there's no reason why she shouldn't accept this non-Christian mate back because they are married. They probably have children. No, don't get the impression that if a mate has once been unfaithful, that you're to reject him just because he doesn't belong to the church, you see. No, there's no Bible grounds for that. Next question. Here's an interesting question. What is wrong when your love turns on and off? Or when things are good, they turn off. And when things are bad, they turn on. That's a good question, isn't it? How many say that's a good question? Let's see your hand. That's a good question. You see, there are three kinds of love, at least. There's romantic love. <clears throat> there's filial love. And there's divine love. Now, when somebody is mean to us, what happens to the romantic love? <laughs> Turns off. And when somebody doesn't take an interest in the things in which we're interested, what happens to filial love? It's turned off. But what happens to divine love all the while? Love, divine love, never fails. Never fails. I'm thinking of a, of a couple. A man was, and his wife were, uh, they were poultry people. <laughs> and uh, that, that is, they raised chickens, you know. And they were getting along like cats and dogs. And the pastor asked for the coon to go to visit them. And I thought, you know, I just see the humor in it. They were raising chickens. They were getting along like cats and dogs. And then Pastor Coon comes to see them. <laughs> and as the pastor and I went into the home, the lady said, I don't love him anymore. Not a bit. And I said, uh, well, uh, there are three kinds of love. I said, your romantic love is pretty well gone, isn't it? She said, it's completely gone. And I said, the filial love means things in common, 
about the only thing they had in common were the chickens. <laughs> you know, oh, nothing in common. But I said, you know, you still have the divine love. It may be just a little spark, but under the power of the Holy Spirit, that spark can flame. I said, would you like to come to church tomorrow afternoon? I'm going to share with you a 10-point program. And we're going to share this 10-point program during this series, by the way. And during that, that special meeting that she attended, I shared a 10-point program, <clears throat> which was intended to do something that to that little tiny spark, that little spark of divine love, to make it flame. And I said, now, folk, you make a list of 10 words. Each word represents one thing for which you're grateful. Then make each word into a sentence. By the way, anybody ever hear about that? Let's see any hands. All right, good. Then you'll make each word into a sentence conforming to Nehemiah 8.10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy plus Lord equals strength. And, and I cited a number of experiences where homes had been built. When people stopped worrying about uh, all the things that their mate wasn't, <laughs> you know, and all the mean things that the mate was. And they would start going to orbit around all the blessings of life. As I stepped out at the door at the exit after my sermon, this lady came out, and I looked into her face, and I shook her hand, and I said, uh, Sister, you do this. She was to carry this little slip of paper in the palm of her hand and keep saying, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this, you know. Thank you, Lord, for the toothpaste, <laughs> you know. Thank you, Lord, for, for the toothbrush. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for, for teeth to brush. <laughs> You know? <laughs> I think Brother Steve will forgive me if I tell of an experience. He, he was telling that once. And he said, do it. Tell, thank the Lord for toothbrush. Thank the Lord for teeth to brush. And just as he got that far, a little old lady stood up. She said, Brother Steve. And Brother Steve looked. He thought, what's happened now? She said, Brother Steve, I thank the Lord for my gums. So what I was trying to do in that service was help this lady know that, that romantic love can be renewed. The spark of divine love can renew all the other forms of love. So I shook her and I said, you do that, and it can change your life. That, that within 24 hours, when we stepped into that lady's home, you know what happened? Her face was changed, her countenance was beaming. She said, you know, everything's all right. We're sweethearts again. And then she began to talk about her husband. She said, I don't know how the poor guy ever put up with me. And you know, <laughs> I was tempted to say amen. <laughs> but, but I didn't. I didn't. Honest, I didn't. She said, but everything's all right. Now, the divine love was sparked by her praising the Lord for the blessings. Try it, friends. Tell your friends and neighbors to try it. Thank the Lord for the blessings he's given us. He's given us all kinds of blessings, right? So that stirs up this little spark of divine love into a flame, and it flames all the other kinds of love. The next question. Uh, Pastor Kuhn, how do you think quoting scripture seemed to work in this woman's life? I've quoted scripture, but it didn't seem to help. That's a good question, isn't it? 
Uh, you know, even the devil quoted Scripture. You remember? On the Mount of Temptation. The quoting of Scripture isn't enough, is it? But you'll notice what this lady did as she quoted her scri the Scripture. She was quoting uh, what uh, Jacob said that, in that night of wrestling. She not merely quoted it, but she fulfilled Jeremiah, the 29th chapter and the 13th verse. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with what? All your heart. So her whole heart went out as she quoted this scripture. And the word of God is quick and powerful, you see. So as her heart went out longing in utter hunger, that's it. The quoting of scripture isn't enough. But you put that together with a heart hunger and there's a dynamic power of God in it. Is there another? <clears throat> Anyone else is free to uh, raise your hand and one of our teammates will give you a slip of paper and after you've written out the question, raise your hand again and, and they'll pick it up. Thank you. <clears throat> Pastor Kuhn, there's a lot of talk uh, these days about uh, possession. Do you actually think that woman was devil-possessed? with a pounding heart and all that, are those symptoms of being devil-possessed? It could be, couldn't it? <clears throat> it could be. Now, there are several forms of devil possession, you know, many kinds. Uh, the Bible tells in the days of Jesus, it says as Jesus was speaking one day, there was a person in the synagogue who had an unclean devil. <clears throat> so there are unclean devils and there are sanctimonious devils. You know, some sanctimonious devils get baptized and they get into the church, you know. And they're still sanctimonious devils. By the way, how can you tell about who is a sanctimonious devil? If he's sanctimonious. Satan was cast out of heaven because he was a sanctimonious devil, right? Now, so this person, this person, a, a lot of devils came to her, you see. She may not have been possessed like uh, many of these people in the days of Jesus were devil-possessed. But the devil was actually attacking her, right? He was attacking her. And evidently the Lord permitted him to, to take over to the extent that he let the devil pound her heart and cut short her breath. The Lord let the devil do the same with Job, didn't he? You remember? Same with Job. Now, Job was not devil-possessed in the sense in which many people were in the days of Jesus, you see. But he, the devil, the Lord let the devil attack him. So she was attacked by the devil in a special sense. Is there another? Yes. Could it be that the, the man's wife was a nagger and maybe she drove her husband to live the life that he did? Don't you think all of us mates should ask the Lord to help us not to be naggers. You know, there's going to be no nagger heaven. <laughs> I think somebody's lifted their hand over here to, uh, with a question too. Say, there's no nagger heaven. Uh, humanly speaking, she could have contributed a great deal. Doesn't the, isn't there somewhere a text of scripture in the Proverbs where it says, Better than, than to live with a brawling woman. It's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a wide house with a brawling woman. And it certainly is true of the brawling man because when a man brawls, it's like a bull, you know. It's worse. Uh, 
don't you think we all ought to pray in harmony with this question? Shouldn't we all pray, Lord, keep me from being a nagger? How many agree? Let's see your hands. Keep me, Lord, from being a nagger. Keep me from picking, picking, picking. And you know, a lot of people pick and they don't know it. I remember two ladies came to us uh, thousands of miles from here. All the negatives happened very th several thousand miles from here. And a couple of ladies came and one was telling how that her sister was a good Christian and she wasn't, hadn't been. And her sister that was a good Christian, she said to, uh, to me in the presence of her sister, she said, but you know, Pastor Coon, but I never once picked on my sister. And her sister said, you didn't. She said, you picked, it was picky, pick, pick, nag, nag, nag. She said, I did. I didn't know I did it. So let's study to see whether we're naggers or not, shall we? One more question. In fact, I think we have time for two or three. What if she was not a nagger, but just some, it was just some kind of a test? In other words, she was just, apparently this question wants to know if maybe she was just kind of testing him to see how he was going to react. <laughs> That's what you'd call a high-class nagger, <laughs> wouldn't it? High-class, you see. That's right. No, we don't want to even be high-class naggers at all, right? By the way, you might be interested in this. If any of you think that your mate is nagging you a little, we'll bring in a couple sessions from now. We're going to bring some little bottles. And you can get three bottles. One will be marked his, and another hers, and another it. And you'll fill the it with beans. And every time that your mate nags you, you'll take a bean out of it and put it in his. And, and if, if he nags you again, you put another bean in his. See which fills up first, his or hers. It's a lot of fun. We do, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Many of our teammates have tried it out. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Really amazing. Do we have time for one more, Brother Steve? Yes, this is a rather good one. It's apparently from a teenager. It says, Pastor Kuhn, it's been very interesting, but I don't think I want to get married now. <laughs> I think what they want to know is how does all this apply to them? <laughs> right, all right. I'd suggest to the teenagers that they would come each night and join us with us in the singing. <laughs> and we sing together, and it just might be, if they're old enough, it might be that as they sing, they'd look across the aisle and see him singing. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.